This is the Roaring Elfin podcast for the 1st of May 2018. A podcast about a batch of Hadoop in the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John, and here is my somewhat irritating at the moment co-host, Dave. Hooray! Didn't work, did it? He tried to throw <laughs> me off the track, and it didn't work. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> You're such a professional, Jan. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And I am just um, have to think about my Belgian brethren, because this is the 1st of May, the day of labor, so we're doing a lot of hard work here. Always, always hard work all the time. And in terms of hard work, what you really need to do is publicize the Roaring Elephant podcast. Should why I do? Would people, why would I why do would that? Why would people want to publicize the podcast, Jan? I don't know. Why should I? Well, how about because you can win a ticket to the San Jose DataWorks Summit? Doesn't that sound like a good prize? It sounds like a great prize. I'd love to have a free ticket, but uh, something tells me I won't be eligible. No, sadly you won't. But... The whole idea about this is do something to publicize the podcast. Um, The easiest way to get a a ticket to entry is to uh, send a tweet uh, about the Roaring Elephant podcast, obviously uh, tweeting at Hadoopcast as a a tag in there so that we know that you have done a tweet about it. Um, But, you know, anything like that, going talking about uh, mentioning the podcast at a meetup, if you send us the slides or point us to the slide share or the YouTube video clip or whatever it might be, um, you know, do something to publicize the the channel, the uh, podcast, and we will give you an entry into the raffle for a ticket to the DataWorks Summit. The ticket uh, provided to us by Hortonworks. So thank you to Hortonworks for that. Mm -hmm. And only providing a ticket, you will still need to pay for your own lodging and travel there. Fortunately, we can't do everything for you. Uh, Full details on how we do these raffles are available on our website. So if you want more information, take a look there. And if I haven't forgotten about this, I should have tweeted about this already. So let's hope that uh, future Jon is smart about that. Yep. And uh, as as I have coined the phrase, don't delay, tweet, tweet today. today. Yeah, actually copyrighted by Dave Russell. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Uh, yep, yeah, we're talking about Druid today. We are and, indeed. Uh, we have a, a special guest, FJ from Imply, who was actually one of the, uh, one of the original founders of uh, the Druid project. So he knows a active. little bit about Druid. Yeah, I actually found him because he was so active on the uh, community forums for Druid, so he really is engaged in the project. And uh, as uh, our listeners will experience, uh, he's a very interesting and fast talker. Indeed. So uh, without any any more intro and waffle, let's get right <laughs> to late. it. Okay, so today I'm joined by uh, FJ, co-founder and CEO at Imply. Welcome, FJ. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Hi, FJ. Very good to have you here. Um, so, do you want to perhaps uh, introduce yourself, give the the audience a bit of background about uh, about you, where you came from, and what you've been up to? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, my name is FJ. Um, it's nice to nice to meet both of you. I am the co-founder and CEO of a startup based in San Francisco uh, called Imply. 
Imply mm -hmm. is formed around a popular open source project called Druid, and Druid is uh, something that I'm a co-author of. Uh, Druid is a high-performance analytics engine. It's basically mm -hmm. designed to ingest uh, large streams of events and then provide very rapid slice-and-dice queries on top of those events. Uh, at Imply, we've built an entire end-to-end -end kind of package analytics solution around the core engine, something that includes management, deployment, security, and also a lot of uh, ad hoc visualizations um, for rapid data exploration and aggregation. So my background is in distributed systems, and but nowadays I guess I really spend a lot of my time kind of working on the business side of things and building out the company. Fantastic. Um, so as as our audience may have guessed, actually Druid is the subject of this uh, of this particular yep. podcast, and uh, FJ having been uh, involved in it from from the very beginning. You know how how do you um, how do you sort of describe um, Druid to people that maybe haven't aren't familiar with the project. Yeah, um, so definitely, I, I think today the analytics world is obviously uh, a little bit packed and, and confusing. Um, so it can be hard to distinguish where certain projects lie. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about Druid's sweet spot and what it's really good at, what it's really good good at. Um, it was actually initially created to really handle like event streams. And these event streams, they can be the exhaust from your digital business. Um, for example, it could be events related to uh, people interacting with products or user events uh, or, or, or even system logs or system events. And what Druid does is it sucks all that data in in a streaming fashion so you can start exploring and analyzing events immediately after they occur. Uh, the way I always like to kind of describe Druid is it's like a hybrid between a search engine and a traditional column store database. And when you take those, those two things together, uh, what you get is a system that's very good at basically ingesting a lot of data very quickly, but also being able to pinpoint and find specific subsections of data where you can rapidly perform a lot of different types of analytics on. Uh, so today, Druid is most commonly used to power user-facing applications. So if you have folks that want to interact with data through visualizations or through point-and-click methods, uh, Druid is very, very good at low-latency queries uh, for those types of workflows. Um, you mentioned uh, user-facing applications. One of the things that um, you know seems to be at the, the very core of Druid is this idea around OLAP and OLAP cubing. Which yep. is kind of yep. it's kind of interesting because you know OLAP cubing is is one of these things that's been around for you know decades really, and yet right. we're now right. seeing it coming back as a as a resurgence, if you like, in the big data world. Yeah, uh, I, I think definitely. So uh, yeah, Druid is you know the queries that it's primarily good at are OLAP queries and, and data cubing. And for folks who may not know what that is, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of that workflow is if you think if you think about a very large and complex data set, uh, most of the time you're not doing like select star queries on that data set. You're not looking at all of your data. Uh, most of the time you're looking at specific subsections of your data. You're looking at, at you know maybe the revenue you generated per. per for a particular user demographic in a particular region, um, and and that type of workflow, looking at looking at subsections of the data, is oftentimes referred to as looking at different faces of a cube. Um, so 
Yeah, definitely. I think nowadays, uh, I think OLAP as a concept, it never went away. It's just something that people didn't talk about as much, but the, the use cases were always there. And today, especially with sort of the, the data volumes that a lot of enterprises have, they still have some of those use cases. And when they search for solutions, the, the kind of key word that's most most relevant um, for their, their workflow is OLAP, which is why I think we're seeing this resurgence. Yeah. So, so how long's um, how long's Druid actually been around from? Where where did it sort of where did it originate from? Yeah, uh, so Druid, the first lines of code were actually started way back in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was started at a pretty small startup at the time called MetaMarkets, and uh, myself and, and actually one of my colleagues, uh, whose name is is Eric, uh, were very early stage employees at MetaMarkets. And at that time, um, MetaRockets, like when we joined, it was, it was a very, very early stage startup that was kind of trying to figure out what was what it was doing. Mm-hmm. And we started actually initially working with programmatic advertising data. Um, that's, that's, those are the folks that came to us with the most immediate problems. And if you know anything about programmatic programmatic advertising, um, that that space generates a ton of data. Uh, so f- for folks who may not be familiar with programmatic advertising, if you imagine going onto a site like Google or Facebook, um, in the milliseconds, basically before a web page loads, uh, there's a, actually a very sophisticated process behind the scenes where the website is looking at your particular demographics, who you are as a user, and then there are a set of advertisers who want to display you an ad, and those advertisers programmatically bid and outbid each other to display you an ad. And this entire process, it happens very rapidly and generates a tremendous volume of data. Um, back then, you know, that the, the only data set we really worked with was, was this like advertising event stream data. Mm-hmm. And uh, the product that MetaMarkets eventually decided to pursue was an advertising product in which advertisers or people that manage ads could come in and, and basically understand like how their ads were performing in real time and also be able to dynamically adjust some of their pricing strategies or dynamically adjust algorithms based on what was happening in the market. Um, so MetaMarkets was eventually acquired by Snap. It was actually acquired in 2017 by Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the early days of that company, Druid was created uh, really out of necessity. Um, at that time, we had actually tried a lot of different types of databases. Uh, we tried various key value stores like HBase. We tried yeah. relational uh, databases like Postgres. And, and a lot of those solutions simply just didn't scale at, at the at both the, the ingestion velocity that we required and also sort of the OLAP cubing features that were required um, for, the, uh, for, for the queries. So Druid was created there. Uh, it was, you know, I think unlike a lot of more popular open source projects, it wasn't created at like a major, major enterprise. It wasn't created out of like a famous research lab. It was actually created at a startup and, and really out of necessity at that startup. And after we open sourced it, the community just grew and grew and grew uh, until... It got to the size where it is today. Nice, nice. So, I mean, many of the uh, many of the sort of tools or technologies within the the big data space are sort of often mm-hmm. um, sort of Apache licensed, and many are sort of Apache governed as well. Is that yes. something that yes. uh, you've looked at with with Druid, or is that uh, that's not something yeah. that uh, you're really looking at? Yeah, so I think yeah, so I think there's a pretty popular model with data infrastructure systems. Um, so Druid uh, is Apache licensed today. Uh, it actually didn't start out that way, but it has moved to the Apache license. Uh, in terms of being Apache governed, um, it's something that I can't comment on. 
too much at this present time, but I will say that it is definitely something that we're looking into. Nice, Ooh, nice. Sounds okay. intriguing. <laughs> it did, it did, it did. Right. So, I, right. <laughs> no worries. So, um, in that case, so who really? You know, if if someone thinks that maybe uh, you know, maybe there's some some space for some OLAP in their life, um, yeah. who really should be should should be looking at this? What sort of use cases are really um, really useful for for sort of people to think about using Druid? Right. Uh, so there's there's a variety of use cases um, that we've seen. Um, most of the folks that basically pick up Druid tend to be from uh, the like data platform folks uh, who want to mm-hmm. add it as as another piece of, of their toolbox uh, to an- another solution as part of their big data uh, part of their big data strategy. So uh, the e- in that in that world in the whole big data infrastructure world, a lot of folks have Kafka deployed. For example, they have streams mm-hmm. of data going to Kafka from a variety of sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, Druid is a very natural like complement to Kafka. Um, basically, mm-hmm. we can support exactly once ingestion from Kafka um, so any event stream that goes into Kafka you can actually we can pick it up directly from Kafka and make those events uh, immediately available um, so that that's uh, generally one way to think about it uh, another way to think about it is if you have analytic workloads uh, workloads in which you're slicing and dicing and particularly like aggregating a lot of data and you have some sort of user-facing application, so something that analysts or even uh, maybe like front office workers uh, might want to use, uh, Druid is, is pretty good for that. Um, so more specific use cases are pretty common. Uh, one is just sort of general user behavior. Uh, so these are user events, how users are interacting with products. So for example, this might be like website logs and, and you know how many times the user has visited one page and then maybe building a funnel of how they transition through the web page. Uh, this might be like marketplace data. So if you run some sort of online retail and, and people are making purchases or, or, or doing any sort of transactions online, so digital businesses and the events that get generated there, um, you know, that's a common use case we've seen. Uh, we've seen a lot of use cases with like network flows and also security mm-hmm. packets as, as well. Uh, so a lot of a lot of the use cases there tend to be around just you know measuring latency, doing a lot of statistic uh, analysis on on how things are performing. Um, if there's anomalies, doing a lot of rapid slice and dicing to determine the root cause of those anomalies. Uh, and and that same workflow applies to, to server logs as well. So that's probably the the lowest level that we go is is within IT. You have more standard server logs, and obviously there's other like logging systems out there. Uh, for us, we're primarily focused on the analytic use cases. Of, of measuring latency and also very quickly like searching for you know particular attributes of your logs you know maybe a particular rack of servers or uh, a particular servers under a certain subdomain and understanding the performance of those servers. Um, so yeah, the, the use cases are, are pretty broad today. It goes everything down from like hardcore IT server logs up to a lot more uh, business facing use cases. Um, but I would say the probably the most common use case today is more around like clickstream data and more around like. Uh, the output of digital businesses. Okay, so I mean, from from the way you describe it, it sounds very much like it's something that is um, augmenting, uh, you know, typical existing big data stacks rather than kind of replacing large chunks of it. Is that is that how you see it? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Um, so I see it as something that basically augments like a data warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you think of a standard data warehouse, you know, there's very sophisticated SQL queries that it can do. Um, it's very complex queries that may take minutes or hours to complete. And a lot of times uh, folks kind of stick all their data sets into a data warehouse and have uh, a SQL and Hadoop solution such as Presto or Hive or many other mm-hmm. choices out there uh, that's responsible for querying that data. Uh, however, there are a set of use cases in which, you know, if you're building some visualization layer, if you're building some sort of custom application, especially anything that's, that's a little bit more user-facing, um, you want those queries not to complete in minutes or hours, but you really, really want them to complete in generally less than a second so people can keep iterating and exploring and understanding their data. Uh, so in that sense, it's where uh, it's where I think Druid has has the strongest fit. So you know we can do real time ingest on one side and also provide these very low latency queries on the other. Uh, and you, you're, what users find is they're getting like immediate access to data. They can take actions much faster than they could with a data warehouse, which in my mind is something a little bit more designed for like back office analysts versus you know front front office people who who may not necessarily be technical and are just more used to working with things through an app. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So when you're, when you're looking at something, say complementing an existing EDW, you know, how much, how much sort of uh, duplication of data are you typically looking at? Is it, is it really complete duplication or, uh, you know, complete, a complete set of data in the EDW for one set of querying and a complete duplicate set within Druid? Or is there some sort of, um, you know, how, how do people typically size something like that? Yeah, uh, I think it really varies uh, from use case to use case and from deployment to deployment. You know, mm-hmm. if you go back like way into the past, um, people used to have like OLAP indexes um, basically of their data, even on top of their data warehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times people had like these, you know, OLAP indexes is to speed up a set of queries a set of use cases, and I think you know that really hasn't changed. Even though the way that data is like kind of transferred and the scale of the data has changed, like the use case is still kind of fundamentally there. And the use cases, you know, sometimes people will have an exact copy of their data kind of within us and also within our data warehouse. And sometimes they have a direct flow of data going to us that's not stored in their data warehouse because the use case is entirely designed for like front office people or people that yep. want to interact with the data through an app. Um, so I, I would say it really, really, it really varies. And, like, and it also varies on the size of the organization as well. Um, usually if you're a very large enterprise, you have your data duplicated across like a thousand different systems. So, <laughs> um, I, would say, I would say that it, it depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No but worries. There's also okay. no need then to have everything pre- uh, duplicated in advance or prepared in advance because you're doing a lot of streaming as well. So it can just dynamically build whatever it needs for fast querying then. Yeah, um, yeah, so it, it is interesting that kind of the shift, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but the shift I see in more like modern enterprise stacks is you basically have all of your, your data being emitted through all your servers and all that data is streaming and it's getting loaded into some kind of message bus. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's you know in the in the Kafka world for example there's multiple consumers of that message bus, and one of those consumers is like a file system you know your your data lake or or whatever mm-hmm. the the keyword is for it nowadays but it's <laughs> it's your static it's your streaming data that's stored in a static format, and then there's your SQL and Hadoop solution or your data warehousing solution that's dealing with that static data, and then there's that separate streaming path uh, which is for like the immediate insights the immediate analysis, um, you might have a stream processor responsible mm-hmm. for ETL from that data from Kafka. 
but then uh, I think, a, a, you know, we've seen with Druid especially just a lot of folks after as, as the output of their stream process, as the output of their ETL, just stream data directly into Druid. And you have this system where data is like constantly in motion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have two paths, the, the batch path and then the, the streaming path. Yeah. So sort of full full Lambda architecture, that side of things. Yeah, full Lambda. Yep, absolutely. Nice. So, I mean, there. Are, it sounds like there are many things that uh, that Druid is very good for. Um, mm-hmm. What what are some of the what are some of the, the the misfits that you've seen where people have you know what's what's Druid not particularly ideal for? Where where do people need to be very right. wary before they go down this path? Right. Um, so there's, there's, you know, so obviously the kind of classic thing that all analytics solutions are, are not great at is more OLTP oriented use cases. Mm-hmm. So you should never be using Druid to power like your Facebook profile, um, for example. So any data set where, you know, it's this, it's the same data kind of, kind of constantly being updated over and over again. Uh, I think, you know, relational databases were invented for a reason and, and they still have a lot of really great fits. Um, yep. I wouldn't recommend a rational database for for analytics, uh, but there's there's many use cases uh, that they're great at, and Druid in particular is not a great system if you have OLTP use cases. Um, yeah, so that's one sense. thing I would say. <laughs> so the other place where I've seen people struggle is if people want to use Druid as a complete replacement um, for their data warehouse, and I think in that sense as well, uh, that's not entirely the the purpose in which it was designed for. So Druid isn't as uh, feature full as a data warehouse. Uh, for example, it's like update latency is going to be quite a bit slower than what you would see in a more like standard enterprise data warehouse. And that's just for the reason that Druid is really uh, designed for like user facing applications for very very low latency queries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't and it's also designed for like multi-tenant environments where you have many, many users potentially hitting the system at the same time. Uh, so in, in those workflows, um, you know, Druid either completes a query extremely quickly or that query like can't be done in Druid. So for example, some of the more complex joins that you can do in a, in a more standard data warehouse, you can't do in, in Druid because it's not designed to, to answer queries that will complete in like 30 minutes. Yeah. It, uh, a, so I, a- I would say those, those are two big use cases. Yep. There's there's a kind of irony there that that's that's kind of exactly what you want, which is you you want something to either work really fast or fail really fast. What you don't want is for it to just run and run and run, and they're like, well, is this going to complete in an hour, a day, a, a month? I don't know. Right. So right. Yeah, no. Yeah. So so there's applications out there, you know, um, which are serving you know thousands or tens of thousands of requests per second. And in that case, if someone issues an, an expensive join that takes 30 minutes, basically all of your cluster resources might be dedicated to, to trying to complete that join, and then all the other queries that are trying to come in might get blocked. So that's yeah. something we've been worried of. Um, you know, are we going to add more data warehousing uh, features in the future? Like, probably. Um, but right mm-hmm. now, our, our sweet spot and our focus is in this like, real-time decision-making and, and just trying to get things done as fast as possible. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of the uh, in terms of the underlying architecture sort of side of things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if if someone wants to deploy Druid, what are the what are sort of the the approximate steps that they'd run through? Right. Um, 
So if you actually start digging into the architecture of Druid, uh, you'll find mm-hmm. a lot of folks have commented on this. It looks a lot like a search system, how like a search system would work in the yep. sense that you have this like raw data stream and then you ingest this raw data stream and then you index it. Um, but the big difference between Druid and like a standard search system is a standard search system basically indexes data in a format that's highly optimized for search. Uh, in Druid's case, the data gets indexed in a column format with search indexes, uh, with like additional uh, basically search indexes, and it's in, instead in a format that's very good for these like OLAP, slice and dice analytics and aggregations. Um, so that's that's not a connection difference, but the way um, that you would deploy Druid is Druid has. Uh, its main kind of components broken up into a distinct set of processes. And uh, these processes for smaller deployments can be co-located. Uh, if you want to do a smallish deployment, they can be co-located on one machine. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to do a distributed cluster, uh, you really need like three machines. There's, there's uh, The processes are really uh, designed to be co-located on three uh, separate like machines. Um, yep. And then for the largest uh, clusters out there, then you might each for like each type of process, you might be allocating different types of hardware. Um, so that's we chose that. I mean, this is a little bit different than many other distributed systems out there. Uh, so if you look at like Elasticsearch or, or many of the other, or even Kafka, many of the other systems out there, it's kind of one process uh, that you're you're basically deploying across machines, and that one mm-hmm. process is uh, all you really have to think about. Um, and Druid, the reason why we kind of broke up, like, you know, there's an ingestion process and there's a querying process, is it really allows a lot of fine-tuning, and we just find that really beneficial at scale. Uh, for small deployments, like, you don't have to, like, tune it that much. You can kind of use the defaults, but at scale, uh, it really helps to be able to isolate your ingestion process from your querying process and to give your ingestion process different resource requirements than what your querying process uh, might require. Okay. So yeah, so I would I would say that no for Druid the smallest deployments is a single server cluster. Uh, the next setup is like a three server cluster, and then you know if you're running hundreds of servers, then you're allocating basically different machines for different processes. Got it, got it. So w- when you mentioned the fact that um, you know you can have uh, you know some machines configured for ingest, some some configured for yep. for responding to queries and that sort of thing. Is is yep. that does this sort of you know seamlessly fit into um, something like Yarn or is that is it at a sort of a deeper level than Yarn? Um, yeah, so I actually so with like frameworks that are designed to manage processes, uh, I think Druid is is great to fit in that mold. Um, I don't know of many folks that run in production with Yarn. Uh, I've seen. Mm-hmm production clusters with Mesos, and I've seen production clusters with Kubernetes. Um, yep. So in both cases, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, it, it is definitely something that's possible. And kind of the nice part of working one of those frameworks is, is you know, it takes care of a lot of the, the, the overhead of, of basically managing the, the distinct Druid processes. Got it. Got it. Okay. So in terms of, you know, what, what does, what do things look like from a hardware perspective? What's a, What's a, a, an ideal kind of mid-range, mid-spec right. sort of Druid node look like from a, a storage, right. CPU, memory, and networking perspective? Right. Um, yeah, so I, so I mentioned um, Druid has, has a couple different types of processes. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of a Druid cluster is actually dedicated towards uh, coring, like the processes required for coring and injection because they just tend to be the most resource-intensive. Um, in that case, um, 
We do run on commodity hardware. We do run in sort of any Linux-based environment. Um, but for the querying process to be really successful, we like a larger cluster requires machines with a lot of cores and a lot of memory. Yeah. Uh, so the way that Druid um, manages its data is really all the all the data that's going to be queried is memory mapped. Uh, so if all of your data can fit in memory, that's obviously going to be the best performance. If only some of it can fit in memory, like that's you know that's that's a trade off that you make, and that's something that you would end up tuning. Yeah. Um, so if you're very large, well, I, I guess uh, let me how you explain like how parallelism and how parallel like queries mm-hmm. work in Druid. Um, basically, the, when Druid like shards its data, uh, the way a query is processed is one shard is allocated to like one CPU. So the more CPUs you have, the more shards of data can be scanned in parallel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for very large clusters, especially ones that handle a lot of traffic, a lot of concurrent traffic, it's good to, just to have a lot of CPUs in place to be able to parallel process data. So. Um, yeah, a lot of CPUs and a lot of memory is is great, and but like you know, if they're smaller machines, we can work with smaller machines as well. Okay, so I mean, I guess with, with you saying a lot of CPU and a lot of memory, maybe you yeah. know, if the if the data fits in memory, then even better. Then I'm guessing actually, Drew, right. it sounds like it's a it's a pretty good fit for you know cloud type workloads as well. Yeah, um, so kind of on your point there, uh, so Druid is, is highly configurable, so you can kind of tune like how much you want to spend and like what kind of performance you want to get. So if everything's mm-hmm. in memory, best performance. And if only a small portion of data is in memory, most of it is, is stored on disk, uh, you, you get worse performance. And you know, obviously things like SSDs and stuff like that help with, with systems that memory map data. Yep. Um, in terms of like cloud workloads, uh, so absolutely, uh, Druid is very, very commonly deployed in the cloud. Uh, it's deployed, you know, we've, it was actually initially built for AWS. Uh, so uh, it started okay. out in AWS. Eventually, yeah. uh, people made it work on premise and made it work in the other cloud environments as well. Yeah. Um, but where it started out was, was in the cloud. <laughs> Interesting. So. Okay. And out of curiosity, um, you mentioned that obviously there's a, there's a, there's a trade-off if you start to, you know, put more, mm-hmm. uh, have more data on on your kind of storage layer instead. Um, does Druid mm-hmm. have any sort of capacity where you can speed things up by using, you know, SSDs as a caching layer or anything like that in a, some sort of semi-transparent way? Um, so SSDs are, are definitely recommended. Uh, the way the mm-hmm. system works is, let's say if you have like a raw data stream in Kafka, or you have some yep. raw files in, in like HDFS or S3 or, or some file system, you know, Druid takes that raw data, it indexes it, and creates its shards. And those shards are basically stored locally, and those shards are what get memory mapped. Uh, so that memory mapping process of, of taking something that's, that's basically kind of being stored on disk and, and making it available in memory, uh, that's something that SSDs speed up tremendously. So, yeah. you know, if you're using like a spinning disk, like if you're coring for a piece of data that doesn't exist in memory, that, that paging time of loading the data into memory can be uh, can sl- really slow down the process. So uh, there, SSDs really help. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully you enjoyed part one of the Druid extravaganza. Um, yes, because as usual, it's so much good stuff. One episode. <laughs> yep, so much good stuff. Yeah. We thought we'd uh, split it over two. We've been, so, we've been very lucky with all the interviews we're doing lately. Yeah, indeed. So join us in uh, in two weeks' time for part two of the Druid extravaganza and more FJ goodness. But that is all uh, the time we have for today. 
We hope you've enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We will be back next week with the second Druid part. And until then, you can find us on www.roaringalpha.org where you can find more information, you can find a feedback form, and you can also find us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag. Send us an email to podcast.roaringalpha.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. See you then. Thank you.